Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Haunted Collection with your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector, Kevin Kane, returning to bring you more chilling stories of the supernatural. And I'm sorry, I've been very late bringing you this episode. I've had come down with the flu, so I was kind of out of commission. That accompanied with a busy time the past couple of weeks. So I am sorry I'm late with this episode, but I am back. And I do uh, beg you to bear with me as my voice is uh, getting stronger each day from overcoming the flu. I'm going to go ahead and try to do this episode because I didn't want to put it off any longer. We've almost gotten through the month of February 2020, and I haven't done a show in quite a few weeks, so I wanted to go ahead and get one out here for you. Uh, just a little bit of news. My uh, my book, The Legends of Indian Narrows, Ghostly Childhood Memoirs, the book about the ghost stories in my neighborhood where I grew up, that is about to be released on audiobook in just a couple of weeks, so be sure to check that out. You'll get to hear me telling the stories, reading them to you on audiobook. It'll be available on Audible, iTunes, and Amazon, so be sure to check that out. Also, while you're waiting on that, my last novel, my last novel, Crimson the Blood Painting, is available on audiobook, so be sure to check that out. It is available on Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. And, of course, visit us at MyHauntedDolls.com, where all of my books are for sale, and you can get an autographed copy. Or you can check them out on Kindle, or wherever paperback books are sold online. So, all right, let's get down to it, ladies and gentlemen, to our first story tonight. A really creepy ghost story that comes all the way from Ireland, over in the United Kingdom, across the ocean from where I sit right now. Lots of fascinating ghost stories have come out of Ireland, and this is just one of millions that are out there. So buckle up, lock the doors, close the windows, and turn out the lights, and let's get started with our first story entitled, Dead Hand. There was a small village in Ireland that lay on the edge of a large bog. The marshy land stretched as far as the eye could see, dotted with small, bushy weeds and the skeletons of tall, ragged trees with branches that reached out like long, twisted arms. The soggy ground could be dangerous because it was riddled with many deep bog holes that were filled with black, murky water. The bog holes were often hidden behind clumps of foliage, and it was important to watch your step. If a man accidentally fell down a bog hole, he would never come up again. It was a fearsome place, if all the tales told about it are true. It was before my time, but I have heard many a strange story about the bog, and it would make your skin creep just to listen to them. Every day, the men in the village went out onto the bog and toiled for hours, cutting the turf. They loaded it up into wheelbarrows and hauled it home to dry it in the sun. 
They used the turf for fuel, burning it in the fireplace to heat their homes. They were also able to sell it to make money. But, after the sun had set, nobody would dare venture out in the darkness onto that desolate bog. In the moonlight, the wind would whistle through the dead branches of the twisted trees. Those who lived nearby would often glimpse strange shapes creeping across the deserted stretch of swamp. There were rumors throughout the village that strange creatures emerged from the bog holes at night. People were so afraid that they refused to leave their homes after dark. There was only one person in the village who did not believe in these creatures, a tall young man by the name of Tom McManus. Everybody knew him as Long Tom. On his way home from work, as the light began to fade, he'd often whisper to his friends, There's one. Look there. And they would jump and run. And Tom would laugh and laugh. Finally, some of his friends turned on him. If you know so much, they said, why don't you go out onto the bog some night and see what happens to you? I'll do it, said Tom. Sure, don't I work out there every day? Not once have I ever seen anything to frighten me. Why would it be any different at night? Tomorrow night I'll take my lantern and walk out to the hanging willow tree in the middle of the bog. If I get scared and run, I'll never make fun of any of you again. The next night the men went to Long Tom McManus's house to see him on his way. It was the blackest of nights, and thick clouds obscured the moon, blocking out the light. When they arrived, Tom's mother was pleading with him not to go. I'll be all right, he said. There's nothing to be afraid of. Don't be foolish like the rest of these people. He took his lantern and, singing to himself headed down the path that led to the bog. Some of the young men wondered if Tom wasn't right. Maybe they were afraid of things that did not exist. A few decided to follow him and see for themselves, but they stayed far behind in case he ran into trouble. They were sure they saw dark shapes moving about, but Tom's lantern kept bobbing up and down and Tom's voice kept floating back to them, and nothing happened. Finally, they caught sight of the willow tree. There was Tom, standing in a circle of light, looking this way and that, whistling a happy tune. All of a sudden, the wind blew out his lantern, and Tom suddenly stopped whistling. The men stood silent and still in the blackness, straining their eyes to see and waiting for something awful to happen. When the clouds shifted and the moon peeked out again, they caught a glimpse of Long Tom. His back was up against the willow tree and his arms were out in front of him, as if he was fighting something off. It seemed like the very darkness was alive with slimy, creepy things. 
strange shapes were swirling about. They could hear loud wells and awful moaning sounds. Then the clouds covered the moon again, and once more it was as black as pitch. By now the men were on their knees, praying for dear life, and calling upon the Virgin Mary and all the saints to protect them. When the moon came out again, Tom's face was as pale as death. He was desperately hanging onto the willow tree with one arm. His other arm was stretched out in front of him, and something was pulling on it. It looked like a disembodied hand, with rotting flesh dropping off the moldy bones, and it had a tight grasp on poor Tom's arm. Stronger and stronger it pulled, until, at last, Tom lost his grip on the tree and was dragged off into the night, shrieking like a soul in hell. That's what the men said they witnessed before Tom was swallowed up by the darkness. When the clouds blotted out the moon once more, the men turned and ran through the blackness toward the village. Again and again they lost the path and fell into the muck, struggling to avoid the deadly bog holes. In the end, they crawled back on their hands and knees, but Tom McManus was not with them. In the morning, the people searched everywhere for Tom. Finally, they gave him up for lost. That evening, the villagers heard a cry. It was Tom's mother. She was rushing down the path from the bog, shouting and waving. When the villagers spotted her, she frantically gestured to them to follow her. Struggling to overcome their fears, the villagers ran after her, and when she came to a stop, they found young Tom McManus slumped against a willow tree, shaking and gibbering as if he had lost his mind. His left hand was raised in the air, pointing, and his wild eyes were staring at something only he could see. Where his right hand should have been, there was nothing more than a bloody stump. It had been ripped clean off. Nobody ever knew for sure what it was that he had seen. Some people claimed that he had been attacked by the dead hand, and others said that was just the talk of drunken, superstitious fools. The only person who really knew what happened that night was young Tom McManus. But he never spoke another word again. He spent the rest of his short life barricaded in his bedroom, shaking and trembling through the long nights. He didn't make it to the end of the year, and when they lowered him into his grave, his grieving mother cried out to the people gathered in the churchyard and begged them never to be so foolhardy as to venture out onto the cursed bog in the middle of the night. And that was the story of the dead hand straight from Ireland. 
There are plenty of bogs in Ireland, so if you ever visit there, be sure to steer clear of them. For you might get lost, you might get swallowed up, or you just might run into the dead hand. <laughs> All right, and now on to our next story. This is a more of a modern story that comes from the Internet. We all have connection to the Internet, at least most of us, with social media, Facebook, Instagram, emails. But there is that deep, dark web out there, that place where no man should venture. And from there comes this next story that I'm about to share with you. It's called The White Death. I am currently sitting in front of my computer, scared witless. Every moment could be my last. My friend is here with me, and he is the sole reason why my life is in danger. It may not make sense at first, but let me explain. It all started earlier today when a friend of mine burst into my house and slammed the door behind him. His eyes were wide with fear, and he stood there with his back against the door, breathing heavily. I asked him what had happened, and he told me his story. He had been living with his aunt for the past year because his parents were in Mexico. They were doing mission work at a small hospital in southern Mexico. The previous night, a bedraggled man had stumbled through the entrance of the hospital. He was screaming in Spanish and appeared to be out of his mind with terror. They brought him over to a chair and let him sit down. As he caught his breath, he told his story in broken English. He claimed that his sister had been killed by something he referred to as La Muerto Blanco. He kept saying that it was coming for him next. Confused, they asked him who or what Muerto Blanco was. With a look of unfathomable fear on his face, he said that La Muerto Blanco was the White Death. She was the soul of a girl who died years ago. She died by her own hand, he said, alone and unloved. She hated life so much that she wanted to remove all traces of herself from the earth. So great was her desire to completely obliterate her own memory that she returned from the dead as a vengeful spirit, bent on killing all those who knew of her existence. She is a girl, but not a girl. She's not dead, but not really alive. She has cold, black eyes that weep blood. She walks without ever actually seeming to move an inch. She stalks her victims like a wild animal, pursuing them across rivers and valleys, trailing them back to their homes. You are never really aware that she is following you until you hear her telltale knock upon your door. She knocks once for your skin, which she'll use to patch her own decaying flesh twice for your hair, which she'll gnash between her teeth, three times for your bones, which she'll fashion into clubs, four times for your heart, 
which she'll tear out of your chest. Five times for your teeth, which she'll polish and keep in a box. Six times for your eyes, which she'll pluck out one by one. Seven times for your soul, which she will swallow whole. No matter where you go, the white death will track you down, and you will hear her terrible knocking begin on the door. You can try to outrun her, but she's faster than any mortal man. If you flee from your home while she's knocking on your door, she will follow you wherever you go. The terrified man was certain that this thing had killed his sister. He had tried to tell the police about the white death, but they would not listen, dismissing it as an old wives' tale. Next, he had tried to tell his priest, but the priest immediately shut the door of the church in his face and turned him away. The priest had seen the white death following him, he said, and did not want to get involved. With his head in his hands, the frightened man said the the white death follows you forever until you tell someone else about it. Then it strikes. It kills you and begins following the person you told. After finishing his tale, the man stole a car from the Mission Hospital parking lot and vanished into the night. Apparently, my friend's mother and father had immediately called his aunt and told her about the strange man they had encountered. They asked her if she had ever heard of the White Death. She said she had not, and they proceeded to tell her the story that the man had told them. The aunt got a phone call later that night. It was the Mexican police. They told her that the parents had been found dead outside the hospital. They had been torn apart. My friend's aunt had immediately called him at school to break the bad news to him. As as he cried, she told him she couldn't understand what had happened. She recounted the whole story to him, telling him about the strange man who had turned up in the hospital just hours before his parents were found torn apart. She told him how the man had given his parents a weird and disturbing story about something called the White Death. When he hung up the phone, he had struggled to come to terms with what had happened. It almost didn't seem real to him. When he got home after school, he found the front door of his aunt's house standing open. Inside was a trail of blood leading into the kitchen. There on the kitchen floor, he found his aunt's body, dead and torn limb from limb. He ran out of the house and all the way across town, never looking back until he reached my house. As he told me this story, I could hardly believe it. Within the space of a day, his mother, his father, and his aunt had been murdered. It all seemed too far-fetched. But before I could utter a word, 
my friend and I both recoiled in horror as we heard a knocking begin at my door. We've been staring at the door for an hour now, neither of us wanting to open it. The knocking is still going on, growing louder and louder. She never gives up. She never quits. La Muerto Blanco is unstoppable. I think she wants to scare us, my, my friend and I. I think she wants us to blame each other. And I do. I blame my friend. It's all his fault. He should never have told about her. As I sit here in my house beside my friend, both of us listening to that hideous knocking, growing ever louder, I wish a lot of things. I wish she had killed my friend before he reached my house. If he had never been able to tell me about her, I wouldn't be in danger now. I'm sorry I ever met him. And I'm sorry for you too. I'm sorry I made you hear this story. I'm sorry I ever told you about the White Death. Because now that you know about her, she'll be coming for you next. I hope you enjoyed that little story. And don't worry, it's just folklore. Or is it? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for bearing with me. It's good to be back and doing another episode. And I always appreciate your support. Please continue listening and sharing my show. Please continue to come back and check for new episodes. And I will be back soon to share more spine-tingling tales of the supernatural, the macabre, the dark side. So come on back to the Haunted Collection for more stories. But until then, watch your back. Keep those doors and windows closed and locked and the lights on. But by all means, happy hauntings.